Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Hi, my name's Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. and It's just an absolute pleasure to be able to come and just uh, to share the word with you this morning as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. It's such an exciting moment and it's in moments like this that the world feels like it changes. You know, as we reflect on, on history, there's been all sorts of moments that have shifted the world. Even just in, in the last century, there's been these moments that have shifted everything. All of a sudden, humanity steps onto the moon. All of a sudden, humanity does these horrible things and, and world wars break out. Amazing things happen and horrifying things happen. There's the 9-11 events and then there's the underarm bowl. There's, everything happens and the world changes. But what's fascinating is you reflect upon the events that change the world. It's people. It's people in the midst of these events. Sometimes it's just one or two people. It's interesting that in the last few years there's been a whole spate of movies and books written about the, the unknown people behind the scenes in these events that change the world. The, the unknown people that helped the, the, the NASA moon landing program work. The, the unseen people that have helped develop amazing vaccines and, and, and breakthroughs in science and all sorts of things. These unsung heroes, all of a sudden we're, we're starting to discover these people. People who save lives, people who make things happen, people that aren't household names. But if you think about this for us, if you think about the moments where our worlds change, we all have them, right? Maybe it's that first time we fell in love. Maybe it was the last time we fell in love. Maybe it was the day that our child was born or our parents passed away. Maybe it was the day that I got that job, I moved into state, that I, I, I finished high school, I started university. We have all of these moments in our lives that change everything. Because I reflected upon those moments in my life, they're all tied to people. There's people that we... We have these moments that we meet or that we are separated from. There's people that mark these moments. Who are those people for you? What were those moments for you? What names and faces spring to mind when you think about these moments in your life? As I think about them in my life, and I'm sure for yours too, if we, if we stepped back from how impacting that moment was when I got my first car or my parent walked me down the aisle or whatever happened, if we step back from those moments. On the world stage of history, they're probably not the most significant moments, really. Like in centuries to come, there's not going to be students of history studying that moment, right? Like it's, it's, it's actually in perspective, it's not actually that big a deal as far as world history goes. In fact, our most defining moments are actually usually quite private, quite hidden, quite personal. And I think in a lot of ways that makes them more special. 
because they're not open for public scrutiny. I think the moments where our worlds change are the moments where we're here, where it's us, where it's simple, where it's local, where it's just a few people and important decisions. They're small in the world scale, but they change our lives. And as we look back through history, some of the most significant moments are just a few people in a small moment. When we come to that first Easter, it's one of those moments, right? I mean, the moments before, it's a big deal. It's Jesus in the center of the capital city of his nation with the the invading forces and the the ruling governor there. It's all of the local religious leaders. It's the crowd shouting out, we don't want him. We want the thief instead. We want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. We want to crucify Jesus. It feels like everything's going crazy, but at the most significant moment. At the most significant moment. There's a couple of disciples. There's two ladies called Mary. And there's one risen saviour. Just a few people. But it's the moment that changes everything. If you've got your Bible there, let's open up to John chapter 20. This moment where we, we, we have this scene. The resurrection day. John 20 verse 11. Says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw these two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. How much smaller a moment can you get? In my grief, the gardener comes to console me. She says to him, supposing him to be the gardener, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. It's this beautiful moment. It's this beautiful, poignant moment where everything changes for Mary, where the revelation of Jesus in his resurrected form just breaks into her existence. Two people, one moment, in a garden, but everything changes. The reality is in this moment, everything had changed for the world on that first Easter. Not just for Mary, but everything had changed for the world, yet the revelation of this truth was only beginning to emerge. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that moment? I I am constantly amazed at how God chooses these small moments, these intimate scenes, to let world-changing events happen. How spectacular is it that that this 
this little garden in really what was a pretty small town on the edge of the Roman Empire that no one really gave much credence to. On a Sunday morning with two people, within a few decades, had spread across the Mediterranean to to Greece, the the seat of wisdom and learning of the whole ancient world to the point in Acts 17 where people say, these Christians have turned the world upside down. This world-changing moment between Jesus and Mary, before we know it, has changed the world. How amazing is that? How powerful is that? When When we look at the evidence from a natural, finite, historical point of view, it probably shouldn't have been such a big deal. In fact, a little after Jesus' resurrection, within a few years, when all these Christians were making a bit of a mess, it seemed, for the other religious leaders from other religions and other religious traditions, the Jewish High Council sat down and said, hey, look, just relax, everyone. We've had this thing before. You remember Theudas, right? He, he did the same thing, right? Everyone's like, I don't know who Theudas is. <laughs> but as far as they knew in the moment, it was just another one of these wannabe rebels, wannabe messiahs, these ones who appointed themselves the anointed one of God who was going to shift everything. And they're used to these people coming and then going and nothing really changing. And yet... Aren't these followers of Jesus who have turned the world upside down? Why? Why did it shift the world? That's the question that it begs us. Why? Because Jesus wasn't just some rebel who was put to death. It's the, the core of why this makes all the difference is what Jesus said about himself. And then what the evidence, what the record of history shows us is what happened. Because Jesus came and said, I am the Son of of the creator God, Yahweh. All of this universe that you see, all of this creation around you, my father made it. You Hebrew people, you chosen people, I'm the son of the God that chose you. You were supposed to be his representative to the world, but I'm here to show you that this is what it should look like. And to make the claim even more outrageous, he said, I am also God. It's not just another person, but when he stands in his resurrection body, presenting himself to person after person in ones and twos and small groups, and eventually to all of his disciples, he proves that he is God. He proves that he is able, that he has broken the power of death and sin, that lawlessness and idolatry that all of us had given ourselves over to. From as far back as history has gone, when humanity said, we don't want to follow worship and be loved by God, we want to be God. And God said, well, that's not going to work because that's my job. And so we chose Idolatry, putting something in the place of God instead of God. And it had been our problem for decades, centuries, and millennia. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'm here to fix it. And I've broken the power of death. And I've risen from the grave. And in my life, and in my death, and in my resurrection, I've made a way for you to be restored to the Father. For you to be who you were designed to be again. And this is what changes everything. And that is why this one single seemingly significant event in history has become the most important moment 
In fact, the hinge of history. It's become the defining revelation of truth for all humanity, which we will all have to reconcile with. We can be who God originally designed us to be. The beauty and the power of what this means for us is that Jesus didn't just open the door, but he showed us how it was supposed to look, which I think is super helpful. When Jesus said to those first disciples, if you've been following along in our series, Only Jesus, and if you're new today, you can go back and watch all of these online, and what I'm about to say will probably make a little more sense, but I'll try to explain it. When he said to his disciples, follow me, he didn't set a bar so high that they couldn't follow him. He showed us what it looked like to walk in obedience to him, to listen to Father God, Yahweh, the Creator God, to live a life surrendered to him. He showed us that it looked like something. It looked like loving people sacrificially. Uh, In Acts, a little after his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, it says that as they're preaching about Jesus, the disciples say that this Jesus was a man attested with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Right in front of you. A little later on, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writes that that this Jesus, this God and Son of God, this one who wanted to be known and came to know us, he appeared to defeat the works of the enemy. He showed us what it looked like to live in obedience to him. In John 17, in John's record of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he records this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, for his followers. But Jesus shifts the prayer's focus to all who would come after those first disciples, knowing that what was going to happen in the next few days and what would happen on that first Easter Sunday would shift everything. He said, I do not ask for these only, these ones in front of me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they, these ones who will come, also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Starting to just capture what it looks like to follow him. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. It continues to go on to talk about this. The world may know that we love each other, that we have find unity, that we find connection. Jesus not only made the way, but he showed us what it looks like to live it out. And in doing so, restores us into relationship and into purpose, into the meaning and the point of our lives, the thing that makes our lives have purpose. He brings it back to what he designed it to be. He sums it up a little easier earlier. He says in Matthew chapter 10, he said, hey, as you follow me, go and do these things. 
He says, heal the sick and raise the dead. He says, cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. And he doesn't change that instruction. So he died and he rose again and all of history has changed. And he said to us, hey, the things that I did, you can do. So how do these things all fit together? How do these things start to make sense? Well, the first Easter is important because he showed us that the resurrection life is real. Jesus was raised to life, never to die again. Everyone else who'd been raised to life still died again. That's a real bummer. Can you imagine Lazarus? He's like, I've been through this once. I do not want to do this again. This is horrible. But the power of what Jesus did on that first Easter is that he broke the power of death and the fear that it carries. Because fear has to do with punishment. But we are when we are with Christ, when we are one with him, when we are loved by him, we don't need to fear anything. To the point where Paul, one of these disciples of Jesus who comes much later, says in Jesus, death has no sting. Death has no victory. Because Jesus has defeated it. As we just sung before, death is just a doorway into resurrection life. It makes this little promise. Jesus is gathered sometime after the resurrection. Probably a week or so, maybe 10 days after the resurrection. And he's gathered with his disciples. He says, don't go anywhere. I'm about to go. Don't freak out. You stay. Because pretty soon, something else is going to happen, which will make all this make sense. Imagine yourself in the, in the spot of the disciples. The one that you spent three years following that you think is going to fix everything dies. Oh, I'm out. What, he's back? I'm sorry, he's what? I don't believe it. I'm going to have to see it for myself. Oh, he's here. Okay, great. He walked through the walls. And he spends 10 days teaching his disciples all about this stuff, reminding them of everything. Then he says, I'm going. They're like, but we just got you back. Why would you leave? Everything's now going so well. But he makes this promise. He makes this promise to a small group of disciples. Right at the beginning of Acts, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, when Jesus changed the world and made a way for us back into life with him, he gave us purpose and meaning and he called us to be about his mission. With resurrection life, with resurrection power. And this is the powerful, amazing mind-boggling thing, which is the why the world was turned upside down, is that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, falls, comes, arrives at Pentecost and fills the believers with power and with life. And as a result, we can be about the same thing. That is how one 
person in a small nation on the edge of the world changed the world. Because he changed the rules of the game. He changed the rules of the game and he invites us to play by his rules, not the old ones. How good is that? It's actually a little unfair. The deck is stacked in our favor now. In fact, the things that are obstacles and pitfalls and problems now, we have God on our team. He's stacking the deck in our favor. By defeating death, by restoring us to God and commissioning us to be about the same things, everything changes. Everything changes. The revelation of Jesus, the risen Lord, that Mary received. People spent the last 2,000 years trying to work out how this works, what this means, how we go about doing what he's called us to do. I love how Paul wrestles with it in Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, would you open up to Romans chapter 8? Verse 9 and 10 and 11 is what I want to read. Paul wrestling with this this Jesus who is dead and now is alive and is God but was man as well and now he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us and calls us to live a life different to the way we lived before. He says this, you, you hearing this and you reading this, you, however, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, okay? If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, the one that Jesus said you would get. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, by his spirit, Paul has just said, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. This is the bit I want you to get. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit who got Jesus up out of that tomb, out and talking to Mary, if the spirit that let Jesus do all those things that Pastor Nick said at the start of the service, If the spirit that caused the scriptures to be recorded, that caused the church to grow, to turn the world upside down, if that same spirit dwells in us, how can it not impact who we are? How can it not change every part of our life? How can it not completely shift what's going on in our context? The same spirit that made today possible dwells in you and me when we love Jesus. How amazing is that? Yeah, come on. That's amazing. That changes everything. It makes all the difference. So we're called to change the world. We're called to change the world because the world changer dwells in us. Here's what I think I hear 
it may be what you hear when someone says something like, you're called to change the world. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> blah, 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 change the world, blah, 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 Jesus. It's too big, right? It's too much. I, I can't do that. I can barely get myself together in the mornings. I can't change my world, let alone my bed sheets or my underwear some days. That's not actually true, but fresh every day. Underwear, not sheets. But right, woo, hear the point. It's a sign. But we think that, right? I think that we think that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think the other way and come tonight, I want to talk into that. But I think for many of us, we go, that's too much. It's too much. I'm not an influencer. I'm not famous enough. Fine for him, he gets to preach, he gets to do podcasts and all that stuff. I don't feel like I can do it either. But here's the reality. Here's why it started small, because it continues small. Here's what makes all the difference. You think for the moments that changed your life. Private, hidden, intimate, special moments. Maybe it was the moment that your parents said to you, I love you. Maybe it was the moment where your partner said, oh, I will marry you. Maybe it was the moment where you knelt quietly somewhere and said, Jesus, I need help in this life. It's the small, the intimate the special moments that change the world. And as Jesus calls us to change the world, what he means is pick someone, love them, show them what I look like. It might be your friend, it might be your family, it might be your child or your parent, it might be that person that you sit next to at the bar, on the bus every day, it might be the barista that makes your coffee. But pick one person and love them and let them know what I'm like. If you pick one person and express my love to them so that their world is changed, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go find someone and they're going to change their world. And they're going to find someone and change their world. And all of a sudden, one person tells one person who tells 12 people who suddenly the world is turned upside down. If we steward the one that Jesus gives us and we create a space where he can change their world, then he's going to change this world. If every single person in this room encounters the transforming love of Jesus and becomes a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God and we take it upon ourselves, his invitation to love someone as he is in us, we might let the world know what he is like. If we let someone's world change and five, six, seven, eight hundred of us in the room all do that, then in a few decades, how many? How many of your loved ones might be sitting here with you and eventually standing in his presence for all of eternity? That's how the world changes. You don't have to get up and change a thousand people. You just need to get up. Let him change you and share his love with one. We aren't responsible for healing everyone for saving everyone, 
for freeing everyone. But when we take responsibility to love one person at a time, in whatever way the Father tells us to, we change the world. Jesus, the world changer, is true to his word. I want to tell you, at some level, in fact, you're absolved of the pressure of having to change the world in one go. In fact, it's not pressure at all. It's an invitation to relationship. But he does, by his Holy Spirit, call us to love the ones. And when we steward them, Jesus tells us in Luke's gospel that when we are responsible for the ones, he'll give us more. Start small and let it grow. Who is the one person in your life Jesus wants to love? Who's the one person whose world he wants to change? We partner with him by accepting his offer, his offer of life, of resurrection life. We have a relationship with him. Through the Holy Spirit, we walk around practicing resurrection life. Jesus did it through the good news, speaking it out. Who can you tell? He did it by breaking the work of the enemy in people's lives. Who can you go and love in the authority of Jesus that breaks the enemy's work in their life? Jesus did it by bringing healing to bodies and to hearts. So we stop and take the time to let the spirit that lives in us, that overcame physical death, impact the people that he's called us to love. Resurrection life looks like stepping out with this relationship of Jesus as our anchor. Because he's changed the world. Would you all stand to your feet? We're going to wrap up this now and we're going to have a time of response. I'm going to ask you to stand up in case that you've nodded off or you've asphyxiated under your mask. We believe in the resurrection power of God and now might be the time. But here's the moment that I want to invite you into today. I believe that the resurrected Jesus is here. He says, where two or three are gathered, I'll be with you. And in his spirit and by his spirit and with his indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit is here with us today, ready and willing to let resurrection life break in. So I've got two things that I want to ask you. And the first one is this. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you stepped into that relationship with him that brings resurrection life? Because today I'm making the invitation to you. I'm inviting you that as the Holy Spirit calls you, you may not even know what that means, but it might be that thumping in your heart right now to go, 
Jesus, I've been wrestling with this relationship with you for a long time. And today I think it's time for me to make a decision. I want to give you the invitation and the opportunity today. If you need resurrection life, if you need your world changed, if you need everything to be different from this point forward, then Jesus is for you. Are you willing to respond to him today? If you are, I want to pray for you. I want to ask you to be bold, to be brave. And after I pray for you, I want you to come and over to my right and to my left, we've got an amazing prayer team who are going to be able to meet with you and help you understand what it's now meant to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be brave to do that in a second, so I don't want you to be surprised when I say, why don't you come forward? But if Jesus is knocking on your life today, saying, I want to change your world, then I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask everyone to pray together, to bow your heads. You don't have to say the words I say. I just want you to agree with them in your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're the one who changes the world. I thank you that you care and you want to set my life free. So Jesus, I acknowledge that I can't change my world on my own with any eternal effect. So Jesus, I invite you to come into my life right now. I acknowledge that I have come up short of your way of living. Jesus, I need you to forgive me for my brokenness and empower me to live this resurrection life with you. I choose to say with all that I am that you are God. I recognize you as the one true authority in my life. I turn from my old ways and I choose to receive your Holy Spirit right now. Jesus, I choose you today. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.